Oh, what a sweet time together. Um, if you got your Bibles, if you'll join me in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be walking through verses 34 through 39. And uh, just so uh, so proud of, of Shelly and just that, that bold step of obedience. And uh, the heart of this whole series that we're calling Red Letters is really... That is the focus, is that in the red letters of Jesus in the New Testament, he has, he has shown us his desire for his followers to obey. Uh, and so just a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw that, that command to repent and believe. And last week, we talked about the command of following in believers' baptism, which we were able to celebrate uh, just a moment ago. And uh, what a powerful picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, and today we are looking at a command that um, perhaps you, we have heard many, many times. It is possible that uh, you might even have this verse memorized uh, because it's what's known as the great commandment. And, uh, and so I want us to see this morning in the red letters of Jesus this command to love Him and to love people. And I love the commands of Jesus because the commands are never targeted at our minds. Um, I, think, I think, and I love Shelly's testimony and that there's, just, there's this, this, this head knowledge that uh, is important, right? Uh, but it's more than just knowing answers or being able to ace uh, a Bible quiz or anything like that. Like, the, the truth of God's Word has to move from our heads into our hearts, into obedience. And we see that Jesus is always focused on the heart. And so as we open His Word this morning and we listen to His voice, I want, I want by God's grace, all of us just simply to, to, to see our hearts in, in the, the target of Jesus and His words. And the main idea of today is that God commands us to love Him above all and to love others as ourselves. Now a little context before we read uh, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. A little bit of context is this is the final week where we're reading. This is the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. To be specific, it is the Wednesday of what we call Passion Week. That in just two days from when we're reading Jesus giving this teaching, in two days He will be crucified on a cross. And no doubt in His perfect omniscience, His perfect knowledge, He knows everything that is coming. And yet this is the time that we are at. Christ has made His what's called the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. He made His way into the temple and if you're familiar with what he did there in the temple, he was, uh, he was uh, heartbroken to, to see that the temple had become something that it was never intended to be. And he goes in and he flips the tables of the money changers. And he says this, he says, this was to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Like the temple of God had been, had been uh, hijacked by the religious legalistic uh, twistedness of what the temple was designed to be in the first place. And he says, now it's a den of robbers. And the religious Pharisees have their heart set 
on removing Jesus. He is a nuisance. He is a problem. He is a threat. And so in just a few days, as I mentioned, Christ will be crucified. Now, I think it's important that we are reminded that this plan had been set forth in eternity past. Christ is not surprised in in the Pharisees' attempt to kill Him, arrest Him, get their hands on Him. This was all a part of the plan all along. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. And later in verse 17, He says, For this reason the Father loves us, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so it's just a great reminder. Jesus is always in control. Jesus is always reigning. And they can't do anything to Him unless He allows Himself to be taken by authorities. And this was the plan all along. Only He can lay His life down and only He has the authority to take it up again, which He will do on the third day on that borrowed tomb. So the Pharisees are trying to entangle him, the Bible says in Matthew 22. They're trying to entangle him, and they're trying to trap him. And the Bible says earlier in Matthew 22 that Jesus always see our hearts. Like, we're not hiding anything. Like, our hearts are always bare before the Lord. Like, He sees and knows everything, which is such an encouragement and such a blessing. But he tells, he tells us in the Word, He sees the malice in their hearts. He sees the malice in their hearts. And so it began in Matthew 22 with the Pharisees trying to entangle him regarding taxes to Caesar. Uh, And then we see the Sadducees, which is another sect of Judaism. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were trying to entangle him in teaching about the resurrection. And he silences them all. And so the Pharisees now have gathered once again and they got one more, they're going, they're going for one more shot to entangle Christ. And they decide to send a lawyer. And so in verse 34 of Matthew 22, the Bible says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, this lawyer was not a civil lawyer. This this was not just a civil lawyer. This was a religious, a Jewish religious lawyer. He was an expert in Old Testament law. Like, he knew everything about the law. All the ins, all the outs. He knew everything about the law. And in this, we see that he is this expert in the law, and they're going to try to entrap Jesus with this question. And it's important that as we talk about the Old Testament law, that it's also called the law of Moses. Because God chose to give His law through the prophet Moses to His people. And it's also called the Mosaic law. So if we say Old Testament law, Mosaic law, or the law of Moses, it's all talking about the Old Testament law. And this law, and I just want to say it maybe a couple times, like the law is good, the law is right. The law is holy. The law gets a bad rap, but the law is a gift. The law is a gift. And and in all of the law, basically, what we will see is God is teaching us how to relate with Him and love Him and how to relate with others and love others. There are 
613 total commandments in the Old Testament law. Many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, but those ten are actually a part of a larger body of law called the Old Testament law. There's 613. That in the 613, you see 248 positive commands, you shall commands, and 365 negative commands, you shall not. And in Judaism, the rabbis over the centuries would take the law and they would be in the, in, their, you know, in the temple or in the synagogue and they would reason and they would teach about which laws were weightier than others and, and kind of reason together about that. And so the setting again is a religious Jewish leader, an expert in the law, a lawyer is questioning the lawgiver. And this is a sobering moment because... The lawyer has no idea who he is speaking to. The one who created the law, the one who gifted the law, the only one who could fill the law's requirements, he's speaking to him. And he says in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? This is actually a a good question. And the fact that he calls him a teacher is a sign of respect. Now we know God has already said, like, There's malice in their hearts. There's ulterior motives. There is a plot to try to entangle him and all of this. But the question is a good question. Which is the great commandment in the law? And in verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is such a gift for us. Jesus is telling us, communicating to us the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God commands an all-consuming love from His people. And notice even the opening of that verse, you shall love the Lord your God. It speaks of relationship. You know, as we look back to the Old Testament and we see when the Old Testament law was given... It was actually given as a gift after God had rescued His people. A quick backstory is the people of God have been 400 years under Egyptian bondage and slavery. The people of God cried out to God. God heard their cry and He raised up Moses to be the prophet leader. And He sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh and reason with Pharaoh and Tell Pharaoh to let God's people go, but he wouldn't. He had a hard heart, and his heart just kept getting harder. And so, God, in His grace, gave Moses and the people of God instruction for how they would be rescued. And and here was the the instruction. Take a lamb that is without spot or blemish, and take that lamb and sacrifice that lamb. And then take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of your home. And when God brings judgment on Pharaoh and the wickedness of Egypt, He will pass over those who are under the blood. Which is such a powerful picture of the gospel and what Christ will do when He comes. Because what did John the baptizer say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Christ is the ultimate Passover Lamb. That He was the Lamb without spot or blemish, without sin. That He was slaughtered on a cross and His blood shed so that all of those who would repent and believe would be 
forgiven of their sin. That those in Christ, God passes over. He passes over us with His wrath and He placed it on His Son. And what a beautiful picture of that foreshadowing of the cross that was to come. But Christ rescued His people through the blood of the Lamb. He parted a sea and they walked on dry ground. Not only that, when they were on their way initially to the promised land, God provided manna. He provided water from a rock. Like He was was providing for His people graciously, rescuing them, redeeming them. And then He brought them to Mount Sinai and in His love gave them this law. So this relationship is here. And then here come this command of what will govern this relationship on how to love God and how to love people. But the, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God. And this love is way bigger, way deeper than just a feeling or a fleeting emotion. I mean, I'm the first to say, and we probably, maybe even this morning, we've already talked about how much we love something. Like, I, I can't imagine how many times I've said, I love queso. Like, I, I love queso. I love it. Uh, I love sports. I love a good book. You know, I love, you know, fill in the blank. Like, we just use that word love, love, love. But what Jesus is talking about in love is this is way bigger than a fleeting, like, emotion. And way purer and way deeper, this word, this strongest, purest form of love God chooses to use is called agape love. And this is going to be so important for us for the rest of the message because this is the type of love that God is talking about. Agape love is the love that is an action that seeks the best for the one loved, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Like That's agape love. Jesus says, love the Lord your God. The kind of love he's talking about is the kind of love that offers the, 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 offers the very best for the one being loved. We talk about worship and giving glory and adoration. Living your life in such a way that brings glory and honor to Him to the point I am willing to lay down myself, die to self, die to my goals, die to, die to my plans, die to my ways, die to my attitude in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. This agape love seeks the best for the one loved, even to the point of self-sacrifice. But why love? Why agape love? Because of who He is. And because of what He has done for us. Because of who He is. That He is the Creator. Created everything. The Bible says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, literally means out of nothing He created. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. As the song goes, He's the Waymaker. He holds all things together. He is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is powerful. He is holy and just. And the Bible describes Himself as the definition of love. God is love. This is the love that God commands because of who He is and because of what He has done. The law was a gracious gift. Why was the law a gracious gift? Because it reflects the perfect character and nature of God and His desire for His people on how to relate to Him, loving Him, and how to relate to others and loving others. But the law in a lot of ways serves as a mirror. You look in the mirror, and when you look at the mirror, it is possible 
that you see things that are maybe out of place a little bit. That's what mirrors are used for, I think, for the most part, right? Make sure everything's, you know, where it's supposed to be. But the thing about this is the law shows us the standard of God. And when we look at that, we are amazed and humbled at the grace of God in giving this law. But we also see that this is a standard that we cannot live up to. Like there there is a perfectness here that is required that I can't do on my own. And so what did God do? We just celebrated Christmas a couple weeks ago. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son born under the law to redeem those under the law. In other words, God made a way for us when there was no way and He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And that He was slaughtered on a cross to absorb the wrath that we deserve. And that He rose again from the third day being that perfect, past, true Passover lamb. And for all of those who repent and believe will be forgiven. So the law is good. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, for your sake, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so again in Matthew 22.37 He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is everything. (laughs) I think he covers it all. Three times in just a few words. All, all, all. That he's worthy of our everything. All your heart speaks to the core of who you are. We talk about the heart of being like the control center of your life. All your soul speaks of who we are. The real us beneath our skin. It speaks to the seat of our emotions. All of our mind corresponds with the word might. It speaks speaks of energy and our strength and determination. And what God is communicating is that He is worthy of our love and desires to capture the totality of all that we are because of who He is and because of what He has done. And what is powerful, another powerful layer to this, is that Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament law. So he's quoting the Old Testament law to the religious Jewish lawyer expert. That not only is he quoting the law, but he's quoting what is most likely the prayer that this lawyer recited when he got up in the morning and what he will recite before he goes to bed at night. Because it's called, it's called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. That word Shema means here. And here is the Old Testament law that would have been ingrained on their hearts. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This was by a long shot the most familiar and most quoted and most copied Jewish scripture that they would have hidden in their hearts. And in the time of Jesus, again, the lawyer most likely prayed that when he got up in the morning. and He's going to pray it again when he goes to sleep at night. And he is looking eye to eye with the lawgiver. And Jesus says this in verse 38. This is the great and the first command. It's of highest rank, highest priority, heaviest. It's the weightiest of all the commands. Because of who He is, because of what He's done, that He is worthy of our complete and total love. Every area of our life surrendered to Him in love because of who He is and because of what He's done. And so what I want to do is just ask a question for all of us. Bring this conversation into the 21st century and bring it right before our hearts this morning and simply ask one question. If we took, if we all took a one question quiz this morning and the question was this who or what do you love most you know what the answer to that is I know what the answer to that is for my life and I would say this morning as we walk through the word a gracious gift to all of us to be reminded of what is more important than absolutely everything else and that is our love for God that uh God actually gives a message to a church in Revelation in, in, uh, in Revelation 2, verses 2-4. through 4. I want to read it briefly because here's a picture of a church that is doing great things for God. They are doing so many good things. The Bible says in Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your works, you toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this thing. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. In other words, you're doing for God somewhere along the way. I don't know when it happened. God does. But somewhere along the way, you're doing for God. Outpaced your being with God. You're doing for God, outpaced your loving God. That God desires first priority, our first love, highest in rank. All are mine, all are so, all are strength. When I was married, and I've shared this before, so forgive me, but I just can't. When I think about first place, I always think about this. Is that when I got married to my lovely bride, uh, I didn't realize that inscriptions on a ring were a thing. Like evidently, uh, that's a thing. And I'd never known that. Nobody ever told me that. And so when I placed the wedding band on my wife's finger, it was the piece of metal. You know, it was just, you know, uh, that's what it was. But, but, but uh, my piece of metal, and I don't know if she told me to look at it or if she told me or how it all worked. I can't remember. But, but I just know if, if I look on the, and I, I can't get my ring off. My knuckle is, uh, I guess, outgrown my, my ring here. But anyway, if I could take it off, you would see an inscription. And here's what the inscription says. You're my number two. And at first I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what, what, what wedding vows did we just make, right? 
But no, what, what she's saying, I'm so thankful. It's what she's saying is, I love you. I love you, but there is one that I love more than you. And he is worthy alone of having first rank, first priority of my heart. And that is King Jesus. You are my number two. And so Jesus goes on and he's not done yet. Like the lawyer said, like he asked the question, what's the greatest? Jesus gave him the answer. But like Jesus is like, I'm not done yet. The second is like it. He didn't ask for a second one. But Jesus is like, no, I'm going to give you a second one. Because it's the second commandment that is like the first commandment. And they're inseparable. You can't wedge them apart from each other. They go together. Christ is seizing this moment because whether it's the Old Testament law or God's uh, commands to us through Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law, but every command you see, Christ gives, it always points back to two things, a love for God and a love for people. God understands we will never get our horizontal relationships in the, in the healthy place that God wants us to be until our vertical relationship with Him is in the right priority. So Jesus, speaking to the Jewish lawyer, let me, this is worth just saying again. This guy probably woke up quoting, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's going to go to bed probably saying the same thing. And in between the day, he has been plotting with a group of Jewish Pharisees on how to entangle and how to end and rid this person who has become a nuisance to them. And I don't know what it looked like. I wasn't there. But I can just imagine Jesus' eyes just looking straight into this Jewish lawyer's when he says the words, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the while, Jesus sees the malice in his heart. It is our love for God that enables us to love others. Jesus, once again, He's going back to the Old Testament law. This Jewish uh, religious lawyer, He would know the law in and out. Jesus returns to the law. And in Leviticus 19.18, that's what He's quoting. But it says this, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The great commandment and the second is like it. You can't separate them. Our love for God enables us to love others to the point where it's impossible for us to love the way God has called us to love if we don't first love Him above all. That you can do nice things for people and you can show kindness, and but agape love, the kind of love that seeks the best for the other person to the point of self-sacrifice, that kind of agape love, That love is only possible through the work and power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. We just can't do it on our own. And as believers, what has God gifted us with? His presence, the Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? First one out of the gate. The fruit of the Spirit is, let's say it, love. Like like right out of the gate, agape love, love is the fruit of the Spirit. It's God working in and through us. It's seeking the best for the one that's loved. 
You can do nice things again, but that agape love is way deeper. And so this might bring up a question which brought up a question we see a couple times in Scripture. Well, then who's our neighbor? If we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, well, who is that? Well, the religious Jewish lawyer who knows the law in and out would know that just a few verses, now the verses weren't added till later in time, but, but, but for our context, just a few verses later, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, here's what God says. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And what Jesus is saying is, do you remember when the Jewish people were strangers? You remember the kindness and love that I showed toward you when you were strangers? In the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, it's another conversation with another lawyer, but the lawyer is seeking to put him to a test. The Bible says in Luke 10, 25, and here's what the lawyer says. Teacher, what must I do to, in, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, the ultimate question asker, well, what does the law say? What does the law say? And he answered in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the conversation doesn't stop there because in verse 29, the Bible says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Because if we're all honest, can't we rationalize anything? Like if we need a reason not to do something, if we need a reason not to step out in obedience to what we know the Lord is calling you, like, our minds have an infinite capacity to rationalize. But yet it is God who says in His Word that this is a command. There's not an asterisk. There's not a fine print. There's not a, well, unless this happens and this happens and this happens, then this, this command really doesn't apply. No, He says, love God, love people. And if you know the rest of Luke 10, we're going to look at it Wednesday night. So if you're available Wednesday night... Uh, we're going to be walking through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is what Jesus communicates. He teaches, and once they get to the end, the, the, the spoiler alert is to the Jewish lawyer. He says, and who was the neighbor? And he says, the Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. That our neighbor, our neighbor is, is everyone. It's everyone. And so this lawyer had a full head, but a cold heart. I think about Shelley's testimony we heard in the baptism waters just a few moments ago. Knowledge is so important, but if it's only knowledge and it never makes the journey to the heart, it stays knowledge. It stays knowledge, but Jesus wants your heart. This lawyer had a cold heart. He could recite the Shema all day long. He, could, he, he did, morning and night. But yet he can have a conversation with the Son of God and want to entrap him to have him murdered as he's talking to him. And so let's not confuse knowledge and obedience. The word says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I, I think that's important to know, like, this is just so practical. Um, so group participation, okay? If you're hungry, 
what are you going to do? You're going to eat. Yeah. Y'all hungry right now? All right, I'm going to hurry up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 what do we do? We're hungry, we eat. You're cold, what are you going to do? Get a blanket, get warm, turn the heat up, get a jacket. Right? What do you do? You, we know how to care for ourselves. We know that if I'm hungry, I'm going to go eat. We know that if I'm cold, I'm going to get a jacket. Like we, we care for ourselves. And so in the text, Jesus is saying we love others the way that we want to be loved. The way that we want to be loved. And in verse 40, he says, And on these two commandments, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Every Old Testament command rests on a love for God and a love for people. And Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, fulfilling to the smallest letter, he says in the Bible. He is the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament law because it's something we could have never, ever done on our own. And yet the commands of Jesus, we are not under law, we are under grace. The law shows us we need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And every command that Jesus gives rests on this loving God and loving people. And so the second command flows out of the first command. And my hunch is this, is that we live in a broken place and broken things happen. But I just wonder how many of us in the room right now are struggling with that second commandment. Struggling with loving our neighbor as ourself because of something that has happened. And what I hear is the gracious words of King Jesus saying, love with an agape love. Love God, love people. I've, I've said the words, I want to be a better husband. I've said the words, I want to be a better daddy. I've said the words, I want to be a better friend. I've said the words, I want to be a better pastor. I've said the words, I want to be a better, I want to be a better, I want to be a better, I want to be better. Maybe you're like me, like you could echo, like I, I just want to be a better. And, and, and here's, I think, a powerful truth that we are encouraged with in the Scriptures. Like if we want to love better, if we want to be that, that godlier dad, godlier husband, godlier parent, godlier worker, like whatever, like, like then, then like, look, because our love for neighbor is an outflow of our love for God. And the question, as it was to the church in Revelation, is perhaps you're doing a lot of awesome things, but you have, you have allowed your doing for God to outpace your being with God. And it's out of this love relationship with God that's going to inform how we love other people. And so how is your love relationship with God? That's what Jesus is communicating to this lawyer. How do you love? And, and what do you do? We just, like, how do you love somebody? If, if you've ever been in love, what did you do? Like, if you love somebody, what do you do? You carve out time to spend with that person. If I told you I loved my kids but never spent time with them, like ever, you'd be like, are you sure? Because we equate love with time. You love God. Do, you, do we spend, I'm saying we, do we spend time with God? Prayer is this gift that, that has been purchased with the blood of Jesus on the cross. He communicates that we can approach His throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because of what we've done? No, because of what Christ has done. 
for us. We can approach His throne of grace and find help and grace in our hour of need. Are you spending time? Are we spending time with God? Are we praying to God? Are we fasting? Are we listening? How do you love somebody? You spend time with them. You listen to them. You, you, you sacrifice for them. That's that agape love, isn't it? When you're in love, you do in love things. And that means you sacrifice. You lay down yourself for that other. So our love for neighbor is going to flow out of our love relationship. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. Is that when you have whomever it might be. And that both of those people or those groups of people or whoever it might be. If, 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 if it's approaching a broken situation with an agape love. There is always a path forward for healing and restoration. There's always path to healing and so let us be clear and see God is not giving us an option he's not going uh, he's not giving us a a second way he's saying love me with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself and so the encouragement is what does it look like to love that person my neighbor and your neighbor can be your boss and your neighbor can be your child. Your neighbor can be your neighbor. <laughs> your neighbor could be your spouse. Your neighbor can be anybody. What does it look like to love them with an agape love? What does that look like? And a, a truth that I am being challenged by is the busier we are, the more challenging it is to agape love. The busier we are, the more challenging. Why? Because love calls us to slow down and it calls us to see and it calls us to spend time in investing. And so perhaps it is time to slow down, to reprioritize and reorder our hearts and read and pray and fast and to love God. And out of that flows the Proverbs says the issues of life, but it's the overflow of our life is what the abundance of the heart is what rises out of the heart. Are our hearts devoted to the Lord? And so this passage, and I close with 1 John 4, chapter 7, verse 11, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so in response to the word, believer, may we be encouraged that the most important relationship is our love relationship with God. And that to love our neighbor well, that we must love God above all. And when we love God above all, He's going to inform. We're going to mess up. We're going to get off the rails. We're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. But His grace is there 
to meet us and give us a grace and strength to keep moving on. And so, God, give us a revival of love for you. Give us a revival of devotion to you. Because out of, out of, out of our, our, our horizontal relationships are out of the first relationship. So as we pray, um, we're going to do something that's a little bit different than normal. Uh, typically, we would sing a song, and, and, and we're going to do that. But we're actually going to invite you just to stay right at your seat. And if you notice, in front of you, uh, there is a little pouch on the chair, uh, and it has a note card. And there are pens in those, uh, in those uh, pockets as well. And so, spoiler alert, uh, next week we are looking at the command to pray. And just really felt compelled that a way that we can uh, pray for one another is to know how we can be praying for one another. And so, uh, Pastor David James is just going to play under us a little bit. And here's what I'd like you to do during these just couple moments. Is would you take that little index card... And you can put your name or you cannot put your name. You can be as vague as you want to or you can be as specific as you want to. But what I am asking is that can we pray for you? Can we pray for you? Prayer is such a gift from the Lord. It's such a gift to the church. And so what we want to do is we just want to know how can we pray for you. And, and there will be a a, a time in our service next week where we're going to take a moment and we're just going to pray over these requests. And so these few cards that you hear, see here from our 8 a.m. service this morning. And, uh, and so, so I invite you, can we pray for you? Can, can, can we pray for one another? And would you right now, if you're up for it, would you just simply write that request? As vague, as specific with your name, without your name, whatever that looks like. Just you and God, write that prayer request. And then here's what I'd ask you to do. We're not going to take long, I promise, just a, few, just a few minutes. But when you write that, would you do me a favor? Would you mind just stepping out and just coming and sitting it on the altar? Because these are going to be on the altar all week long. And for those listening in on, online fbcob.info, there's a prayer tab. You can go on that prayer tab, write your prayer request. We'll print it off. We'll put it right down here. All week long, we're going to be collecting prayer requests from our family of faith. And then as a family of faith, we are going to pray over those next week in our service. And so I, I ask, would you allow us to pray for one another? And as always, we'll have pastors here who are on the front. Uh, we'll be sitting here. Feel free. You want somebody to pray over you? Just come on. We, we'll be right down here. We would love to pray over you. That would be a blessing and a gift. But let me pray for us. And uh, let's give our hearts to the Lord in this time. Father, we love you. And God, even as I say that, I want to be careful not to say it flippantly. I don't want to say it without understanding what you're really looking for. Because you're not looking for a fleeting emotion. And you're not looking for a feeling. You are looking for our complete, total devotion. 
our heart, our soul, our mind. You want it all. And you're worthy of it all. Because of who you are, because of what you've done. Father, may we repent of our lack of love toward you and rest in your grace that meets us where we are. And Father, in the grace and power of your Spirit, continue to carve and prioritize that love relationship with you because life will be off the rails until that is secured, nurtured, and poured into. Father, I pray for our uh, horizontal relationships. All of us walking through broken situations But Father, knowing that You have called us to love with an agape love, a love that is impossible apart from Your grace and Your help. Your Holy Spirit is love. God, help us to see everybody the way You see them. Help us to walk through broken things with a desire for the other's best to the point of self-sacrifice. And God, I pray for anybody here who might be living outside of a relationship with You, God, that This is love that You sent Your Son to die on the cross, to pay our sin debt. You rose from the dead the third day. And to all who repent and believe, You give life. Father, now as we reflect on these requests, these areas of our life that we know unless You pull through, we don't know, we don't even perhaps see a path forward, God. We pray, Lord, that we would take serious this privilege of interceding and praying for one another. So God, we love you and we do praise you and pray that you're honored in this time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you would write your request, if you would, I invite you to come and simply drop that at the altar. Pastors are here to pray. You're welcome to pray always at the altar. And let's give this time to the Lord.